word of mouth is probably the only thing that gets me gigs. <laughs> and it seems to be everyone else too, like no matter how much you market, it's word of mouth in the end matters the most. Hello everyone, welcome to the 18th episode of the Unofficial Lost Year Film Podcast. Today I'm joined by Chris and Summer Medina. Say hello everyone. Hello oh. everyone. Oh, again. <laughs> Today's topic is weddings, photography, and freelancing. We'll probably branch out into a whole bunch of other topics. Uh, but we have Summer here, who is a good friend and recent alumni of Las Vegas University. She graduated um, last... Was it last year? Yes. Yeah, okay. It was last year with um, Kevin, Ethan, Jimwell. I think those were the other... Yeah, Michelle. Yeah, Michelle. Oh, yeah, I'm Michelle. That's right. Um, so, yeah, Summer has done lots of great work during her time as a filmmaker, and she continues to do great work. Um, so, Summer, do you mind giving a little bit of background experience of what you've done, how you got into film, and so on and so forth? Well, thank you for that very generous intro. <laughs> um, uh, I'm a filmmaker and photographer, and I, like Brendan said, I did graduate last year from the La Sierra film program. Um, I'm currently working at La Melinda University Church, uh, but I spent a lot of previous years building up my freelancing career because that's what I thought I would be doing for a while, which I'm still kind of doing that on the side. That's irrelevant. Um, <laughs> I also... Speaking of weddings and photography, I also just recently started up a partnership with John Huang, who was here on the podcast earlier, earlier, and we have a wedding photography business called Cunbri, and currently COVID has taken all our clients from us. So, <laughs> but you can go check us out at cunbriophoto.com. I'm just going to do that little uh, yes. seamless plug. That is c o n b r i o dot com. Photo dot. You can also. Oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> you can also find them on Instagram as always. True yes. at Cambrio Photo. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, what what got you into um, doing media and filmmaking and photography? Um. Well, I'd say probably when I was like six or seven, I'd always see my dad. Uh, taking photos on his like film Canon camera. And so then I asked for my own point and shoot. Uh, and so I went around and I had this really basic, probably I want to say Panasonic, I don't know, whatever they had their little old point and shoots. And I just take pictures of everything, whether it was good or not. And then I posted it up on a blog, one of those blogspot.com. <laughs> yes. And like nobody looked at it except maybe my other friends and cousins who had blogs, which is honestly like what five of us, <laughs> and just, just like post these really bad photos of what I did on the weekend or something, and then that progressed into a YouTube channel. Uh, when I found out about YouTube, got slightly better camera and just started making videos that were really bad that you should never go look up on YouTube. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I've always just loved capturing things to remember. Uh, and like now, especially just capturing things that are already beautiful and just 
taking them from my perspective and trying to make it look interesting. And I guess now I live on Instagram. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of how my uh how I got started in photography, film, and then it went into kind of more of a career uh what did you call it? Just like a career path when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that cuz I don't know. I think you're probably one of the prime examples that I have like people who like kind of like establish themselves as like the media person because when um I remember uh when you came to the academy that I attended um like the year the year before you you know you posted these flyers um for the student body uh position for the <laughs> video uh you know position and I was like oh this person like and because of that it's like oh this person's obviously like um you know and the media and then of course you know you came um you're great you know you and then you did other activities as well and you're a great student but like as far as like establishing yourself as like a filmmaker oop, I was like um I don't know, probably like one of the best examples that I have yeah, um, fun fact me and Brendan went to the same high school that was cool <laughs> probably oh barely God. talked <laughs> And they're like, that's funny really how that is. Yeah, it's funny <laughs> like, how the world works. And I know. Life like, I'm, I, I'm in high school. I'm like, oh, I want to be a filmmaker. Oh, there's summer. <laughs> She's doing good. Oh, summer. <laughs> this is like, like one of the first times. What? Yeah. This is, I think this is one of the first times that this dynamic has happened because we've had several other people on the program who have been like very much the same relation with me and them, where we went to the same high school. But now uh-huh. we finally have someone that went to the same high school with Brendan. Our little small high school. Our little I small know. bubbles. The Adventist, at least that Adventist bubble is very small. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> uh, so as far as like doing um, more of like the filmmaking side um, and getting the the gigs to do filmmaking as well as the photography and to do um, weddings, I know you and your cousins, you know, go out and do fellowships all the time. Um, but how did those gigs first start? coming to you or how did you first start getting those gigs well honestly i don't think i had seriously thought of film as a career this was before i went to uh our high school brendan but um like it was always just for fun and i figured oh i'd probably teach or something which now i know for sure i don't think i could be have the patience to be a teacher (laughs) but anyways then i was like 15 and these uh two young adults at my church were getting married at my church and they were like, oh, you make films? I was like, eh, not really. <laughs> but they're like, can you film our wedding? And I was like, okay, like no clue what I was doing. Um, I just made like short little highlight reels of whatever mission trip I had just gone on that summer. So like that's probably the best work I had to show for it. And that's on, have, do you guys remember like those flip cameras? Oh, oh man. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I did one of them on a flip and then one of them on just a point and shoot because it's got to be waterproof. But that was what they had to like as my portfolio. <laughs> and they were like, yes, we want you to do our wedding. And they're super sweet. And when I agreed, my parents were really supportive. And my dad did camera and a friend from church did the other camera. And I think my mom even did a camera. And we shot that wedding and then edited it and then 
they till this day like whenever i see them they're always like oh we show our daughter the wedding video and we love it but like me i can't go back and watch it because it's that bad (laughs) (laughs) but that's my introduction into the freelancing world and from there it took off kind of how how did it take off was it like word of mouth and people just started asking you Oh, yeah, that was my thing. Looking at some other things you wanted to talk about. Word of mouth is probably the only thing that gets me gigs. <laughs> and it seems to be everyone else, too. Like, no matter how much you market, it's word of mouth in the end matters the most. But in high school, it'd be like, oh, your friends know you take photos. So can you do their senior portraits? Um, it helped that I always carried around a camera. Um like in high school, I always had my uh, point uh, DSLR on me. So and we did senior portraits and that turned into family portraits because the families liked it. And then I guess I can't think of how I leaped more into film, but it's like, oh, you do this, you volunteer to make a film for your church. And then like the next time, usually the client is willing to pay. Not a lot, but that's a whole different topic (laughs) (laughs) i think that's something that like brendan and i kind of like really identified in you like when we first kind of like really became friends and like started working with you and like in college like not to jump too far ahead but like you have this like innate willingness to do stuff like whether or not you're getting paid for it whether or not it's actually going to a client you like by yourself are naturally curious and like make stuff and that is super cool and inspiring to look at because like most other people and like the people that eventually like asked you to do these jobs, you had this like huge portfolio of things behind you that you had done already. And it's much more assuring to be like, Hey, I want to go talk to that person and ask them for their help or hire them when they have this huge portfolio behind them. Yeah. And I think another thing um, that really resonates with Summer is that she's just like a great person in general too. (laughs) So it's like really just makes it, you know, a good experience to do with. And I probably the same thing with, uh, with Mark is that, um, like, like you guys are just like, like working with you guys, like, cause like working with Mark on like, you know, our own projects and then working with you on other projects, it's just like, it's so fun (laughs) and so great. I remember a car ride, uh, with like you, Chris, um, Mark and Eric, and we were talking about like the two most positive or like happy people on a set would probably be me or mark and that kind of puzzles me because as a like in my head i'm and like to whoever i would confide in i'd probably be the most pessimistic person but just somehow thankfully that doesn't uh, leak into my freelancing and like career wise at least not yet we'll see in the future <laughs> if I become, like, really grumpy, old lady directing films or something oh my gosh we'll, we'll come pay you a visit <laughs> and you'll regret it <laughs> Forget, passing that over to kind of continue the conversation like going from like high school to like college mm-hmm. like what like what did you do and how did you kind of like steer your eventual career path into where you are well like graduating high school I was like, I'm going to do film in college. And uh, funny thing is, if you go, I went to Andrews my first year and then last year my last three years. At Andrews, no one knows there's a film program. Um, But 
that's just a fun random fact um <laughs> so i'd be there my freshman year they'd be like what are you i'm like a documentary filmmaker and they we have that here <laughs> but anyways um i kind that was kind of like a no-brainer i was gonna do film in college um and just i just tried to like build my uh, portfolio on more short films throughout college because i hadn't really done that in high school i do like really lame skits on youtube or weddings or highlights and promos like really basic ones before that now i really took like college to try and figure out what style i wanted to get into um and took all four years to kind of figure that out and still figuring it out now um but I just wanted to make connections at college. That was my main goal, um, was to find like a good group of crew or just people that inspired me and I wanted to make films with. And I kind of found that. And I think we've had many conversations about how that was all kind of a common interest. And then I found you guys and then I have a bunch of other people that have been on this podcast before. Uh, and we've all had great time at La Sierra <laughs> oh and man memories, right yeah. yes yes and favorites I don't, I don't know how many favorites I've asked to do somewhere <laughs> that's, that's the like a secret little thing is just we all work for each other for free and that's how you <laughs> get a crew in college yeah oh man well you definitely had that conversation of like um who are your first people that you call when you have a project and you need someone to do a role? Like who is the first like line of people that you're like, this is the A team that I want. I want them if they're available. I will pay them if I need to, but I want these people because for whatever reason, these group of people have been reliable, trustworthy. They're really great people to work with. And they have this insane body of knowledge that would really just help the film progress and like develop. And I mean, in, in a space where you are right now, where you're a freelancer, I can imagine, like you were saying before, making connections and, you know, making sure your name gets passed along with word of mouth is probably really important. Yeah, because not only for clients word of mouth, but also like you're going to need second shooters. Uh, you're going to want experience to be a second shooter. So creating those connections within your field of work is also very important for gaining experience and also just getting the help and crew that you need definitely Try to tie that back into the wedding stuff <laughs> what are some other like tips and tricks that people or for freelancers that you feel like people don't know uh well i think for non freelancers the client side i would say that like just because it's my hobby or was my passion does not mean I can do your work for free. Uh, you see it with like musicians and other type of artists. Uh, but for me, that's been something str I struggle with because like you said at the beginning, you need to do some work often for free just to build your portfolio. And while it's okay to do that, once you've gone like six, seven years, you should not be doing that. Otherwise, you're going to end up like this one student that my uh, advisor, film advisor at Andrews said, came back, called him like a year after he graduated from the film department and was like, I'm living on my friend's couch. I just don't have money. How did I get into this position as a filmmaker and freelancer? And it's because he just 
like always did the work for free and people just started to think of him as oh he does really cheap work and like it looks okay and i don't feel like paying what i should to get like the value of a project that i should be getting they just want to like lowball it and that's not a way that's not the freelance life that you want to settle into yeah you, you talked a little bit earlier about you know spending the time in college to and even now to figuring out you know your own style and get that high quality of work um, how did you go about discovering that? And then how did you trans transition between doing, you know, um, work for a low cost to asking for more money? <laughs> uh, it's still a transition. I think it's, there's so much more room for growth here. But um, I think just remembering that your time is valuable and just because there's better freelancers out there doesn't mean you should charge less this is where my train of thought is right now is that like the more projects you take on, the more valuable your time gets. So then I would think, oh, because I don't have any projects, I shouldn't, I don't have the right to charge a lot, but you have more knowledge and experience than the person that's hiring you. So that already makes you more valuable. Um, so you just kind of have to remember that when you're pitching things and then it helps. Like I have a budget calculator so now I don't even have to think about that. I just like fill in the details. I, I know exactly what to ask the client in order to fill out that budget sheet. Like how many days do I work? How many crew do I think I'll need on that project? Like how many hours to edit? Editing is also something I would always forget to charge for. Um, but yeah, that a lot of stuff you got to keep in mind on budget. And John, John Huang's been a mentor <laughs> in the like the money world of freelancing because <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Oh man. Yeah. It's always tricky trying to make a living <laughs> off of the video, especially when the client doesn't want to pay that much. And then like revisions are in themselves. Like, you know, you always hear as a, as a freelancer or a filmmaker, it's like, Oh, you know, client revisions are horrible and like they never pay on time, <laughs> but it's so true. For yeah, like, I think at least for, for like bigger ones for more like you know one-on-one -on -one personal might be different but at least for like bigger corporations holy moly i've noticed that weddings well, like wedding clients they're the most easy to please at least the ones i've experienced like nobody has asked for a revision but i think they just get carried away with watching themselves on their wedding day but like <laughs> client, like if you're making a promo for someone like they know what they want and they will be a lot more harsh on uh, critiques and edit changes that they want. Mm. I think you're kind of like touching on something that's really interesting about freelancing is that whatever job or gig you take on, it's actually very different depending on who wow. your audience or who your client is in that case, right? Where yeah. like um, if you're doing a wedding, you're doing a video and you're producing a product for people that may not really know what they want. They just kind of want something. Or if you're doing freelance work for a company, they may have this objective where like we want to use this to then market ourselves. And so they have a very clear definition in their head. And to kind of like jump back to an earlier podcast, we were talking with um, Eric and Alex and a bunch of other people about client expectation and like, you know, helping give them the idea. Uh, freelance work is really, really diverse and kind of knowing what your client wants or helping them or helping them discover what they want is part of the freelance gig. 
Oh, yeah. Educating the client is something that I've come to do more often in the past couple of years, because if you d I didn't do it in the past, and it's just a struggle if they don't know what they want, and you don't know what they want. So yeah, it's not your job to completely tell them what they want. <laughs> <laughs> How do you go about um, pitching to the client? You know, I'm not prepared for that because we were going to talk about weddings, Brendan. <laughs> but pitching to a client, there are like some, I, ha I have a list. That was something I was going to mention about weddings is, or just more like photography clients. Since weddings, it's pretty standard. Like you either want the vows and toasts and stuff, or you don't um, captured. But like for photography, you got to, I'd, kind of go to like what I have on my contacts page on my website just because when they contact me I want them to already know all that stuff like budget timeline um how long they want the thing to be uh, and then just kind of their overall goal and then who's their odd target audience those are like the top five things I find out as soon as possible before even agreeing to the job and pitching a price <laughs> all right for Weddings. <laughs> what are some? I mean, every, everyone knows, you know, what the wedding photo and, or photo op and what the wedding video is. How do you go about capturing it? Well, capturing video or photo, they're two very different things, but then again, they're not. Um, first of all, I would say make sure you meet with the couple before the wedding, whether it's like a month or two or even more uh, in advance, just you need to know, get on like the same level with them and make sure you're all thinking of creating the same thing. Um, go through that kind of like same list that I said for just general freelancing. But if photos, you got to make sure you know what kind of photos they want. Like, oh, uh, bridal party photos just couple photos and then maybe they want a photo with every single table which i don't encourage that it, they won't look as good as the like posed shots but i have done that before maybe to like piggyback on this while your dog is barking um i will i will i will lightly jump into this with my very minimal experience here um i've done a few weddings uh and from what i've learned like what Summer was saying before, the best thing to do is to kind of have this kind of roadmap between you and the client and the couple to kind of understand what you're actually getting out of it. Because more often than not, your wedding clients are not educated on what it actually takes to make a wedding video. So for instance, um, a basic wedding will usually run about eight hours. You're asking for about eight hours of work. You're looking for, um, you're looking for possibly two, three cameras recording or uh, taking photos of the entire event, you're looking for specific moments you're trying to capture. And then on top of all of that, you're asking them to also edit those photos or edit that video together. And then maybe that's to some specific music, maybe that's to some specific style that you pitch to them. And you basically just try to have to educate them on what's possible and what's not. Because more often than not, wedding photography is kind of this thing that's thought of in the back of people's heads it's not necessarily the first thing that they think about it's not the venue it's not the list of people it's not the dresses and so more of the clients that i've received have been like oh yeah we also need this and kind of pitching your worth at that moment is really difficult because it usually comes at the end of their budget yeah you're an afterthought right that's that is yeah photos i found 
people think of more than video um because everyone has the albums or the pictures hanging on their wall of when they're married but like not everyone knows what to do with the wedding video and like some people don't even want wedding videos but there's a lot more wedding photographers out there than there are wedding videographers so like the market or the the freelancing world is a lot more competitive for photographers in weddings versus wedding videographers so that that's also something to think about before you go into one or the other yeah i think one of the trickiest things is um when you're hired to do both photo and video at the same time um i think oh no yeah for the, for the people that have done that they know that that's practically impossible because you're capturing one moment with like one medium and then that means you miss it in the other unless you have somebody else there with you okay but okay that sounds impossible for like two a two-person team even but i've seen a youtube video of this guy who does it by himself with a gopro on top so you can see his like thought process and how he interacts with the bride and groom and he's like really you only need to capture the vows on video because what is that going to look like in a photo and then you only need to capture certain actions on photo because like video won't be that great so he has it all like mapped out in or if you want to do it that way but i say that's just too much stress yeah that's yeah. another thing to kind of like tack onto this like doing a wedding gig is one of the most stressful events you can ever shoot in general there's very there's there's sometimes an itinerary and a script and like an idea of where the program is going to go, what's going to happen when, who's going to be where they need to be, and more often than not, before the wedding, you'll kind of receive that itinerary so you can kind of plan out where you want to be. Um, but the most stressful thing about a wedding is that there's no do-overs. You have oh. one chance to capture this moment, and if you miss it, you don't get to put that in. Like you don't, you're not going to give that to the client, and then you have to explain to them why you don't have the perfect shot of their vows or why you didn't get the recording of them saying I do. And it's really stressful. Um, and it's also a job where you're mostly on your feet. We should probably point that out too. Uh. Like, being a wedding photographer takes some stamina and especially if it's an outdoor wedding, that's pretty brutal depending on the time of year and where you are. Yeah. As a girl, um, don't wear heels and also really <laughs> short dresses. Cause you're going to need to bend over or like, squat or something to get a shot but i kind of want to go back to what you're saying chris on like they're going to be stressed like the whole uh, whole day is stressful um like usually the bride is really stressed and then like the wedding planner is also really stressed but so the bride and groom honestly set the tone for what the wedding is going to become but um i've often found that if the one me and Chris did a wedding last fall, and honestly, that was the most relaxed and enjoyable wedding, at least for me, that I've ever been on as a videographer. Chris agrees, because I don't know, the the couple was just so relaxed, enjoying every single moment you could tell, and that just made for a much better film uh, product in the end, but like, they were having fun, and I realized I was having fun. Usually after weddings, I'm like, burnt out and questioning why I 
ever film weddings in the first place. But after this one, I was like pumped. I was like, I want to do another wedding. Like that was fun. So it honestly depends a lot. Your experience depends a lot on the client. Unfortunately, they aren't all going to be like that. But another role you have as photographer or videographer is I've heard this from another wedding photographer is that you're establishing you're not just their like documentary person for photojournalist for the day you're but you're also creating this client or this relationship with each client and it's your job to make like nurture that before during and after the wedding keep that relationship going um and like what that looks like on the actual wedding day would be like basically their personal therapist or maybe you have a bobby pin on you or you know how to tie a tie when nobody else in the groom's party knows how to tie a tie uh that'd be like for you guys but um but like you're supposed you're more than just their photographer or videographer good wedding um photographers and videographers also set up that relationship and then they keep it going as they post on instagram or stuff like that so that that's a totally different freelancing uh role you have to take on versus just oh i did promos for this university or something like that yeah to add to that um being a wedding videographer photographer is kind of like one of the weirdest intimate gigs you can kind of have because you're kind of with this couple or with this party of people for a really like you know brief but intense period of their life and for most of it it's really emotional too and what the best job that you can do is to capture those moments, to be calm, to help the, you know, the process of what's happening, because ultimately all of those people at that wedding are going to want to see those photos and going to want to see that video. And more often than not, you will get more gigs from us from one wedding than by just oh, trying yeah. to market yourself, because all of those people that were at that wedding saw you doing your job, saw the product that came out of you doing their job and been like, you know what, that's worth it. Yeah, and you never, there's probably at least one person that's going to get married soon at the wedding. So, like, that's your biggest word of mouth spread is just being at that wedding and getting that gig. So, I, th- I feel like it's a good domino effect. It has yet to happen to me, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've heard uh, that's, that's I, the process. Yeah. I've had a couple things where that's happened, but unfortunately, um, weddings, as well as they pay, are, like we said before, are exhausting and are very stressful. And they, you kind of need to be in the right mindset to be able to go from one to the other. Yeah, but like as a college student, weddings usually happen on the weekend. So then you go to school on the week and then you go to, you shoot a wedding on the weekend and then you edit it sometime. Well, hopefully the weddings will come back when COVID, um, <laughs> and, well, after COVID is safe to <laughs> come out and have a gathering uh, or a reasonable gathering at least. Yeah. And then these weddings can resume and Cumbrio can light up on the fire. Um, yes. <laughs> as far as going about the actual capturing of the event, how important is it to have a second person with you uh, if you're doing you know, just photo and video as well? Well, I'd say if it's your first time shooting a wedding, don't do it by yourself. Or let me rephrase that. Like if you've never shot a wedding before, go second shoot 
on anybody else's wedding just so you can kind of get the hang of it without all the pressure of delivering the final product you're just there to do whatever the head videographer photographer wants you to do assist with camera shoot uh you know, lighting, stuff like that. And then you can kind of get the hang of what you need to do, how you should like handle client, the client relationship and like what you need to bring and just kind of get a good practice run. But then when it's actually your turn to lead out as a videographer or a photographer, I'd say you could probably more likely get away with one, one person crew on a photographer gig more so than on the video side because video, I don't, you know, why is that? <laughs> I think yeah. the answer is coverage, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I think like, I mean, you, have like, get, you have to get the bride, you have to get the groom, just in case you don't get the one of those shots don't work or push shots don't work, then you have to get the long shot. Um, <laughs> a you need a lot more coverage for video to make like a five minute video than to get like 100 photos because the bride and groom are often not in the same place before the wedding. So running back and forth, you can grab like 10 shots, maybe 20 shots what in each section in like 10 minutes if the places are together in the same location but like trying to film all your different shots that you use probably 10 percent of what you shot in the final edit you're gonna have to be in both locations a lot longer and so that's what makes it so much more stressful is because the day moves usually really fast and everyone's mm -hmm. usually behind on a wedding <laughs> <laughs> maybe to kind of like ground this in uh, some tangible examples, like for the wedding that Summer was talking about before that we shot uh, last fall, we were like the location was fairly close together, like where they were having the reception, where they were having the ceremony. And then, when, so nice. you know, it was very, very close. Like it was within like less than two minutes of a walk. Like you could get from A to B from anywhere on that location, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, but there was many moments where I knew that someone was going to go, like, someone was going to go set up or someone was going to go get dressed or someone was going to go do something. And it would have been so much more helpful for me as a videographer if I had someone over there capturing that moment while I spent some time capturing all of the, you know, miscellaneous B-roll that you get to kind of fill in the gaps of where you're missing footage. Um, but what, like, like Summer was saying, with photography, it is insanely more forgiving because you're capturing still moments. You're capturing very quick moments of things happening and you can get much more usable uh, photos than if you were just shooting and you only use maybe like three seconds out of that entire clip that you were able to shoot. Um, and so having an additional shooter to just get more coverage, to make sure you get the I do's from both sides, to make sure you get the tears welling up in mom's eyes and everything <laughs> is so helpful. Like, oh my God, the first wedding I did, I was very lucky because I, I was the only videographer on that team while there was two photographers and trying to capture everything from one camera and one perspective was really difficult <laughs> because I missed a lot of stuff. I missed one person crying and saying their vows. I missed, you know, dad on this side, not, you know, tearing up or whatever, but I got mom on that side tearing up. So I cannot stress enough how important it is to have an additional shooter when you're at least doing videography because you will find so many moments in your edit where you're like, man, I really wish I had something else here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah having a second shooter is definitely um, really important. Um, although, like, you, you can't do it like one person, like you said, Chris, but, you know, it is really, <laughs> really helpful if you have a second shooter. Um, as far as the style goes, 
um, weddings have a very distinct look to them when you're capturing them on photo and capturing them on video. Um, you know, the, the whites are very white. Everything looks <laughs> white. <laughs> um, but for for video, you know, there's very there's a lot more different styles you can play with as compared to that um, to photos. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you go about doing your research to figure out what style you want to try and do? And then, like, have you like when you're there, like, do you like figure it out then, or like do you figure it out in the in the um, editing um, bay? <laughs> well, I actually uh, before. I shoot a wedding or even take photos. I go to YouTube for my wedding inspiration and some of my favorites, if I can like plug them as well, are I first found White in Reverie, which they make like super cinematic videos with like almost consumer level cameras, like GH5, not like pro like Red or some or like Ursa. Um, but like GH5, they make these super cinematic wedding films and I kind of like watch a lot and then just kind of take notes on what I like about them and how I think I can achieve that. Um, And then I found this guy called Eric Floberg and he's a photographer turned videographer, which I'm kind of going the opposite direction. I did more wedding videos, now I'm turning it to photography. But they all, him uh matt who is matt johnson and then white and reverie they're those three posts like they become youtubers and they post tutorials and kind of oh like shoot come shoot a wedding with me and then they document and tell them tell you what they struggled with what to look out for what gear they use which is always something that i like to obsess about but um i i just kind of binge watch all these youtube tutorials (laughs) before i go on a wedding shoot so those are some cool ones to check out uh, if you're looking to get into wedding videography as well as photography. Yeah, to also like jump on that. Um, it really helps you as a videographer photographer to know your location, know mm-hmm. which direction the sun's going to be going and you know what time of day you can kind of expect things to happen. Um, it also helps if you understand what's the style of the wedding. Do you know what the style of things is that, that's occurring? Like, do you know generally what the aesthetic is going to look like what's the color palette going to look like um also what trends are going on right now like what (laughs) wedding trends are happening at this moment that you know are probably going to be there there's a Um, moment where like sparklers every wedding had sparklers right yeah (laughs) spark i think the most in thing right now is floating candles but that's moving out now so if you're if you're like really a dedicated wedding photographer, videographer, one of the most important things to do is to talk to your coordinator or to talk to whoever is like working with the wedding or the venue because usually they're the ones that are on the most in the know about what's in <laughs> right now. And so kind of understanding that kind of helps you develop this idea in your head of what it's going to look like. Um, cuz a very like one specific thing is really important is what's the color palette of the bride and the mm. bridesmaids? That's really important because that could change the entire tone of your of what you're thinking about if you don't know those colors. Um, and kind yeah, of going off research. of that, going off of what Chris just said, the style of the wedding usually goes off the style of whatever the couple is like. And the couple that we shot in for the fall, for example, it was very. They had the super cool style. It was almost hippie indie artist 
vibe with a bunch of old like old 1990s furniture rugs and like just all you throw together from a, a garage sale but it looks super cool together and that was totally their style and so then i kind of even though i don't know how to film in that style that's kind of the music i choice i edit uh picked um when i did a cut and then like the shots kind of like the style kind of went off of the music so i guess i kind of did that later but it really the style of the couple really affects the style of the photos and the videos so it's good to get to know the couple beforehand absolutely definitely Go, moving on to the more uh to the stress side of weddings um <laughs> what, are, what have been some like or what are like some things to keep in mind and like what 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 problems can arise from doing a wedding gig uh well i mean a lot of the stress comes from the timing of things and you're only one person maybe you're only two people and then like things are happening right now and my ISO's wrong or I have the wrong lens because I like to shoot with primes and like, oh, I got to change this lens or oh, we got to beat the bride and groom to the reception or just timing is one of the most stressful things about a wedding. Like Chris said, it moment's gone, like you can't get it back. You'd probably be able to tell because these aren't actors you're working with. So you got to capture the moment as it's happening and you got to have the eye to predict when that a moment could happen because you can't just have your camera rolling or take pictures constantly. That would just kill your storage. But timing is so stressful. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, on top of that, uh, weddings don't always go to plan in general. <laughs> they just yeah. don't. There's plenty of times where you may expect a 15-minute break in between this thing and this next thing. Or you may think, oh, the people are going to take longer for, to get from the reception or to get to the reception. They may rush there. You don't know. And one of the worst things you can do is to kind of have a rigid mindset. You have to kind of be very flexible when it comes to shooting right. a wedding because a lot of things could happen. A lot of things could not happen. Accidents could occur. Someone could spill something. Someone could get hurt. And you kind of need to go into a wedding with the mindset of I need to be prepared. I know where I'm going. I know where I want to be, but I need to do it calmly and safely. One of the worst things that you can do as a wedding videographer is hurt yourself because of ultimately you are your product as well. No product exists if you cannot do your job. So mm -hmm. make sure you're wearing appropriate shoes for this. Make sure you know the environment really well. Make sure you time it out like Summer said. But also other than that, like try to keep yourself as calm as possible. It's gonna like any stress that you have is gonna add on to the event, and it's gonna reflect in your footage and everything too. And that's a bummer to kind of like realize later. Um, yeah, ma yeah make sure make sure that you like take care of yourself. So, like bring snacks because you might not be offered dinner, or like bring your own water. You gotta do stuff like that as well to be prepared. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, also just to kind of understand something too, there's been some weddings um, that I've heard of, I've never been a part of it yet, which hopefully I never will be, um, where photographers have had to walk away, videographers have had to walk away. Mm. And there's been things that have happened where your equipment gets damaged, you get hurt, the bride or groom or someone in the wedding party does something, and 
you are being as professional as you can, but there's also a time to choose to walk away, which could be brutal for you, but also it may be safer and better for you to walk away from that environment than to grit your teeth and stay there. So for instance, put a timeline. Like your wedding oh, is planned right. from 6 p.m. to 10. Where I am walking out the door at 10. That's it. You want it anymore? That's an additional fee that you have to sign it with a contract ahead of time. Um, so in other words, don't overwork yourself. You're being paid for a certain amount of hours. Get what you can in those hours and walk away. That being said, Chris, I remember we stayed like an extra hour. Now, yes, we, we weren't burnt out, though, because no. at least I wasn't because I was on this like wedding video high because everyone was having so much fun. They were all dancing and I was super into the band and everything. So I was not minding it, but like on a tire, a long tiring day, like you just want to go. I know the photographer who was with us was like, I'm going to go sit in my car and eat dinner because there's too many people. And she did. And then she came out and stayed way past what she was hired to do as well. But so just know your limits and then it's OK to leave before the wedding ends. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I think, you know, knowing your limits is probably one of the most valuable things a filmmaker can have, <laughs> you yes. know. Um, On set, too. That applies to short films, stuff like that. <laughs> definitely. Moving on to, oh, for for moving on, Chris, I had a question for you. Yeah. As a person focused in sound, how do you capture sound for weddings? Oh, that is brutal. Chris. Let me put it like that. <laughs> um, usually for weddings, it's really rare that you would, that they would hire a separate person to ha let's say they have a band or let's say they have some performance or let's say they have someone who's, you know, doing something and they hire someone to set up equipment, sound equipment, set up speakers, set up microphones, set up all that jazz, right? If you're fortunate enough to be working with someone like that, you should ask them or they should ask them as the wedding, you know, as the couple to record that. So technically speaking, that shouldn't be your job if they have that planned already. If they don't have that planned, that's where the trouble comes in, especially if you're a single shooter. Because if you're trying to capture good audio, you're trying to capture the vows, you're trying to capture whatever the pastor, ordained minister, whoever is officiating the wedding is saying, you need to have all those people mic'd up. You need to have all of those people tested ahead of time. You need to have sound check with them ahead of time so you can capture good sound. If you're not that fortunate to do that and you're a single shooter, the best thing you can do is to get shotgun microphones and be as close as you can with your camera to record that moment. Um, if you're fortunate enough to have lobs, have lobs. If you're not fortunate enough to have that, do a shotgun mic. Um, and if you're fortunate enough to be working with someone who's doing live sound, a DJ or whatever, ask them if they can record their set and record the entire event because you could get some MC saying something that really sparks off the uh, another event that you could, you know, preface in your video. So those are your options with sound at a wedding. But ultimately, it's really difficult to do solo. <laughs> so Chris, would you like I've always heard oh put a if you have a love put it on the pastor or whoever's, you know, officiating the wedding and then Correct. put one on the groom, not put one on the bride, which I've done that as well because that's just it's where do you put the mic if like so, i yeah, know so for like yeah, official yeah. film sets you can put the mic anywhere yeah. but yeah would you recommend putting a mic on the bride as well 
Um, yes. Here's the thing I'm going to say. You should mic as many people as you physically can mic. In general, you should. <laughs> because there's so many points of failure in between that microphone, the recording pack or transmitter pack, and the recording pack, and your recorder. There's mm -hmm. so many points of failure that could occur. So the more people you have mic'd up, the higher chance you have to get that sound. Now, I get that, once again, you have to remember that um, usually the bride and groom or whoever the couple is are not film related. They don't understand <laughs> a lot of this. And so miking them up may be a really uncomfortable experience. Um, in that case, what you can additionally do is make sure you set up microphones that are physically being held by them. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you have a microphone that's on a microphone stand that's right in between everybody. Or maybe you have, you know, a, you, if you're lucky, maybe you have someone else just completely separate from you recording sound in a different way at a different angle. But in general, more coverage is better. Yeah. And if they're using a mic, can you just have something like a Zoom or some other audio recording device and just make sure you have XLR input? Is that absolutely. another like third backup? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you have a microphone that has XLR input or even a microphone that's USB input that could record into like a computer or a laptop or something, mm -hmm. that's totally fine. The thing that you have to educate people on is getting close enough to the microphone to catch it up, to <laughs> capture the sound. Because once again, the people getting married more often than not have never worked with media in their life. And so <laughs> learning to talk with something next to your face is really difficult. But if they want to preserve that audio for later, they should learn how to do it and you should educate them. <laughs> Nice. All right. Moving on to photography. Um, what, Summer, what do you feel like photography brings to a filmmaker? And um, why is it important to like practice photography as, as a filmmaker? Well, as from a filmmaker's perspective, uh, photography, I had the opportunity when I was in a uh, lighting class at Andrews. Actually, I think I was in a cinematography class at Andrews University. And we had, there's a really strong photography department over there. So a lot of the photographers take film classes as electives. And I was in there with a bunch of, I think, upperclassmen photographers. And so they're all already really good at lighting and stuff. And I noticed the difference between like my freshman films and their um, photography mindset films was that their lighting was spot on. Like you can tell they thought about that frame that they got. And while this part's not as great is that they rarely had movement of the camera in their videos because they're a photographer. They think by in a single frame. Um, but their lighting like made up for it and their composition was so good and you could see their style of photography in their videos because of the composition and lighting alone and then you had me i had like no lights uh composition was all right but i was a filmmaker and i was a little lazy and like getting my composition just right because i was focused on the movement or like the actors moving in the shot but it's all important so that's really what photography allows you to slow down and think focus more on the lighting and the composition so as a filmmaker i found that photography helps me and vice versa definitely i think um another thing that photography can can bring to a filmmaker is the idea of filling the frame with the subtleties mm -hmm. um because 
we uh, in the in the previous episode we were talking with Randy Lau about um, production design <laughs> and making sure that the world um, that they live in makes sense and brings out character. And so I feel like, especially with photography, um, many times, you know, you're just you're like what people see is the actor or the, the talent or whatever is the subject of frame. But then you can also fill that with um, more nuances and more choices that re uh, reveal who they are as as people or mm -hmm. whatever whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, photography lets you pay more attention to detail. Yeah. Because you're only worried about one shot, not like however many frames you get in a second versus in a minute, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a friend of the show, Eric Hardy, had said at one point, I talked to him, like he's a, uh, he shoots on film additionally mm -hmm. as well as digital. But I asked him why he shot on film and he was telling me that um, he had to think a lot more about each frame that he was shooting because he only has so many shots, you know, in mm -hmm. a roll of film. And he had to really think about the composition. He had to really think about the lighting. He had to really think about how everything came together and what the subject was and how the world around them was either helping them or not. And so he was telling me that taking a really slow approach to typically a medium that's really quick is really helpful in kind of dissecting and understanding every little bit that's in the frame. How does composition apply and help the frame? How does the background and the colors affect the frame? How does the shadows and the lighting affect the frame, et cetera? And uh, what he learned from that, what she referred to it to me, was um, you kind of like get a different appreciation of how to do everything and how to frame up for your first shot. And that's really important, when, especially when you're trying to capture really meaningful moments. Definitely. Film. I have, I have, uh, you guys though, I have my Fujifilm Instax <laughs> um, <laughs> that I take a daily photo or try to at least. And yeah, it really, it does bring out a different sense because you want to make it look nice so you can look back on it later and be like, oh yeah, it looks cool. Um, <laughs> but you also want to like make sure that you do capture the moment. And yeah, like you said, it makes you think. <laughs> <laughs> when, you're, when you're doing photo gigs, how do you get a go about like finding the right style if you've never shot in that style? Like, let's just say uh, we're doing beauty and you've never shot like a beauty thing before. How do you go about mm. um, exploring a, a different style? I'd say practice like at home. Um, I definitely almost, if I'm doing something new, I would just pull someone real quick and just practice what I'll be doing for the actual shoot, especially if it's like for a client. Um, like senior portraits and family portraits, those kind of things. Once you've done a couple, like you kind of get the hang of it. Um, you don't have to do anything too fancy to make them happy, which doesn't mean you shouldn't try. But like when it comes to a client that is going to use these as a promotion or on their website, or something like that. It becomes, it's like stress on a whole nother level. <laughs> wow, we're talking about stress a lot today. But, um, <laughs> it's freelancing. <laughs> yeah, that's freelancing. Um, but like, I'll generally practice, look up inspiration, have a shot list. Um, you can't over prepare for that kind of thing. But then also just, again, it's the con client relationship that you have. You need to figure out what they want, make sure they know what they want. I often would have them send examples like so much nicer when the client can put together a shot list of things they've pulled off the internet that they think 
they want their product to end up like. And that has helped us a lot more. And usually it's like, oh, you can see the lighting or you can see the composition that the client wants. Like for a phone case company, we shot, they gave us the shot list and as well as like the mood board. And you could, they told us the colors. It was very specific. And like all those rules actually gave me more freedom as a photographer because like I knew what they wanted and then I could figure out how to make that even more fun. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's something to like definitely understand. Um, you're kind of like teaching a language to people that may not necessarily know how to speak this language <laughs> of visual creativity. And it's really difficult to get them to use the words that you're looking for. And so when, like Summer was saying, when you can have them bring up their own examples, mm-hmm. you can kind of translate in your head what examples there that are there and what kind of like style and rules and composition and color and lighting. You can kind of decipher a lot of that if they do a lot of work and if they help you by giving you a better idea of what they're looking for. And so, you know, part of being uh, part of uh, photography, but also part of like freelance work is kind of like parsing out and kind of communicating between uh, different mediums that may not necessarily have the same language. You gotta be like an interpreter. <laughs> yes. That's actually something that not just applies to weddings, but just as a freelancer in general, like if, especially if the client is the subject as well, show them a little bit of what you did kind of near the beginning of your shoot. Obviously not like your test shots, but show them what they can expect from the rest of the shoot at the beginning. And that gives them so much more confidence in you and themselves. Like, oh, I actually look good. And then they'll become a lot more uh, comfortable with you and being in front of the camera. And that just helps your end product as well. It's a good tip. Many times uh, for clients, before you even get the gig, you know, the the client looks at your portfolio and what you have to show. Um, So how how important is it to have a a widely diverse portfolio, whether not just for photo, but for video as well? Yeah, I guess it depends on how far along you are. And if you know what you want to do already, that's great, because the more specific as a freelancer, the more specific you can make your portfolio and especially your website, the more likely you're going to pull in the clients. Because if you're just like, oh, I do photography, and then you post up a bunch of random photos you've taken over the years, nobody's going to know what you offer, what kind of service you will offer them. And so they're less likely to pick you over someone who's like got all their wedding photos together. They have all the packages and list what the packages are. And they have maybe like, oh, just an easy just put in your date, your budget, and then like click and send an email. They're way more likely going to go to that um, service versus yours. Um, so having a portfolio is one thing. Having a very clean, cleaned up, uh, specific to a certain audience portfolio will just boost your uh, your opportunity for getting gigs and getting the jobs. But that's hard because... If you're like me, you're really indecisive and you're also changing styles a lot. You can see, if you just like scroll on my Instagram feed, you can see the progression of what I was into shooting at the time. <laughs> um, but it's like figuring out your brand for yourself and what you like to shoot. There's no like roadmap to it. You just kind of get there. Everyone gets <laughs> there a different way, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm still not there. <laughs> and it's okay I to think- change, you know? Yeah, I think that's something that's really important to kind of note is that 
you can have a really, really good style that you shoot it. May not be your favorite, but you could do that one style really well. And so um, part of your website may be dedicated to that style or that package or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but like Summer was saying, like you kind of have to figure out what you're doing and you kind of have to be very organized in how that looks. Because when you present that, ultimately what you're doing is you're showing a client how cleanly and how organized you can get that product. So if your Instagram feed, for instance, is like most people's Instagram feed, which is a bunch of random assorted pictures, it's not really going to catch their attention. If they can kind of see a style that kind of is uniform across the board, they can see the nine grid, the you know the nine square grid, and they can see that that's all one style. It's a lot easier to communicate that than if you just had a bunch of random ones that may be related but may just be out of order. So it's important to kind of understand where your first impressions are going to be on your website, on your Instagram, on your YouTube, you know, by word of mouth, what is your reputation in that space? That, that is your first real foot in the door for a lot of clients. And so making sure that's uniform and tight is really important. And I'm not talking about the people that post 35 millimeter hashtag, whatever. And that's all they shoot <laughs> on. that's not a style. Hashtag 35 millimeter is not a style. It shows you can't be diverse. Is what that is. <laughs> As we wrap up, up here, are there any final thoughts or questions or any, any other topics you want to tackle? Um, I think I was thinking of like, I want to leave some sort of advice to maybe uh, some a film major in college who wants to do weddings or uh, freelance in some other sort of way. And I think something that I've learned over my, I don't know, many years of struggling with as a freelancer is that like there's a lot of other freelancers out there and it's very easy to compare yourself to other people but that shouldn't stop you or like discourage you because they're better than you um because they also are like struggling with their own confidence in their own like uh in their work there's so many i've talked to a lot of uh other freelancers and they're all, they've all had the same kind of experience that I have where it took like maybe six, seven years to get to a point where I could barely tolerate watching what I is on my portfolio, uh, which is scary because then you're sending off all these videos that you don't really feel comf confident in to potential clients. But it takes time to get to the point where it's something you can truly, truly be proud of. And it's okay for it to take that long don't compare yourself. You can look at other people's styles. Don't try and imitate them exactly. You know, you can just take a little bit from one artist, take another one, a little bit of an idea from another creative person, and then make it your own. Just try. And, that's the whole cliche. Be yourself. Like, <laughs> but it's true, you know? Yes. Still from yeah. others. Make original. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're being inspired by that. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of just top that off. Um, remember that as a freelancer, people are hiring you for what you've done and your style mm. and your expertise and your, you know, and your ability. So keep that in mind. Remember that you have that value because they hired you for that thing. Um, and also trying to remember that you are being hired to do a job. You have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience and they are asking you to do this job for them. So remember that and remember to value yourself because really you're the person that sets your price. No one else sets that for you. Yeah, there'll be lots of up and downs in a freelance journey. Um, but shout out to all those people that 
like believed in me in high school and gave me opportunities because if it weren't for those people who may not have gotten the best product but like believed in me and all the other freelancers out there we wouldn't be we wouldn't have all those years of experience and a portfolio behind us <laughs> that's it thanks once again to chris and summer for joining me in the podcast today i hope you enjoyed it and you listen to more